0: From the UK.
1: Scene. And now your hosts, Rob Cope and Dan Farrell. Dan uh, Hello. How's it going? Very good, old chum. How are you doing? Doing quite well. Thank Excellent. you. And you? Excellent. Yes, very
0: good. Everything's under control.
1: Yeah. Yes. What's going on? You've got some background noise there. Is that?
0: That's the old um, PlayStation fan. Ah. Let me just turn it off and see if it's uh, a more acceptable podcast environment. No, I mean it's it's not unacceptable. Just mm. wondered. Yes. There
1: we go. So, what have you been up to? Ah, oh, just working. You know, Christmas and events.
0: I can imagine that this time of year from personal experience is the big time absolutely
1: harvest is is due
0: (laughs) so um i thought of loads of things we should talk about on the show and now that we're doing it i can't remember any of them
1: that's always the way
0: i know i went to spain last week yeah for a gig yeah i know mr i tell you what before you say anything man i oh dear oh Uh, i said it sorry we can we can do that again and why don't we beep it. it i had to sign a
1: non-disclosure so uh um, oh, no. yeah
0: but i don't know does that count is that revealing
1: i mean maybe i i, I guessed and you haven't confirmed
0: i said nothing
1: of the sort so. i mean no one's listening to this so
0: that's, i mean it's it's
1: like you haven't disclosed it to be honest
0: <laughs> mayors yeah it makes no difference perfect um, yeah, uh, so that was cool. Go
1: okay though. Yeah,
0: whatever gig it was, it was highly enjoyable. Whether this gig existed or not, um, mm. it was excellent. Yes. Um, and then,
1: uh, yeah. Was it? Was, did you have to sign an NDA because, like, he doesn't want anyone to know that he hired you?
0: Yes. Or is it? Is it? it his reputation would be tarnished. deeply yeah,
1: If knowing that he only got Rob Cope. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Um. <laughs> there. Yeah. That, that's exactly... That's what I've been telling myself, Dan, ever since. Yeah. So we finally tracked down Andy Robb. Oh, right. The Elusive. Yeah. Robb. Actually, yes. And we used... I used the show to get him to tell me about your life. We did some big time... Like a prequel. Oh. Um, the Farrant backstory. Okay. Um, what well, was said? Uh, you know, well, I can't tell you. Because when I press play on the show in a few seconds... Then yeah. everyone will hear the story, um, but you know just just what it was like. To he told me that okay, he told me that once you guys had a play uh, on one base at Guildhall. Oh yeah, I remember that, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. So that amongst <laughs> many other gems, great. I look forward to hearing it. Yeah. So I'm actually going to press play right now.
1: Do it. I think. Yes. Sorry, I have you? I was just pausing there. <laughs> no, please continue. I think Andy even took my old room in Kensal Rise. Oh, with, with Ruben and Matt Roberts. Yeah. Wow. Well, Ruben, yeah, pre, I was there pre-Ruben. pre
0: Reuben. That must have been when Ruben was living with me. Yeah. Ruben found. We should talk about that one time with him. Yeah, that would be fun. It yeah. felt like a penance to the jazz scene. <laughs> like someone better live with him.
1: Yeah. He's sorted himself out though now, hasn't he? Yeah,
0: he's a beautiful, beautiful man. He really is. Changed. In every way. Mm. Okay, here he comes. Hi Rob. Andrew, Rob, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Oh, I'm good, man. Well, this is a pleasure. Very long time Mm. since we've had a little chat. It is, mate. It's been a really long time. The last time I remember actually properly having a chat was maybe in like 2010 or 11. 10 to 12 period of my life.
2: Yeah, we did. I think the first time we met was we did some gig at at keys keys and gonville college in cambridge.
0: Oh, yes. And it
2: was with like Paul Clarvis and Gareth LeCrain.
0: Interesting. And um you were living in London around that time. Yeah, that's right. And have since gone all over the place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited to talk about it. Um Dan and I have been running a like finding Andrew Robb segment for quite a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: oh wow! I wasn't even aware. <laughs> oh, brilliant!
0: It's quite a good way of testing. I'm I'm touched that you have genuinely listened to quite a few of the shows. Um, it's a great way of us keeping tabs on who's listening by by mentioning people on a regular basis to see if um, see if they notice.
2: Oh, well, that's quite interesting because I've been I started off uh, I've been working my way from the very beginning and. I have not caught up on all the ones since the summer.
0: Ah, it's going to be really annoying for you if you do go through those and start to reach the segment.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm up to the one with the Manchester Jazz Festival preview. Oh, yeah.
0: That's the next one. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Um, My friend and mentor, Andy Scott, helps us by actually talking some sense about the pod about the festival because Dan and I basically don't know anything <laughs> no. so um I know this will be fun before in fact before I do this random and weird game just tell us a little bit tell us tell our lovely listeners um who you are and what's going on
2: okay uh well my name's Andrew Rob uh I'm a jazz double bassist and I grew up. In Edinburgh, in Scotland, and I studied jazz at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London. And I lived in London for about eight, nine years. And then wow,
0: that's a really long time. That's longer than I realized.
2: Yeah, well, it's kind of it sort of creeps up on you, doesn't it? Because you sort of study for four years. Yeah. And then before you know it, you've been living there for four years, and you're sort of feeling comfortable, and you know, you're not completely terrified about where the rent money's going to come from. Yeah. And you're sort of involved in a few projects, so yeah, it was kind of it's like, did I really spend ten years there or almost ten years?
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That's exactly the boat I'm in right now. This is my eighth year. Oh well, congrats. And it's gone. It's gone so fast. Yeah,
2: I know. It's it's kind of scary because it's like I only feel like I moved here like one year ago. Yeah. Um, but then you you know time does fly you know when you're doing all this sort of music malarkey
0: so are you back in edinburgh now
2: yeah i'm currently in my living room in edinburgh and it's an absolutely foul day
0: <laughs> oh man i used to have a i have a friend um called alice allen she's a cellist and we used oh, I know, alice. To, yeah we used to play a game every year um to compare our climates she lives in glasgow we would send each other pictures of the trees like once a week Because you know the Glasgow trees would go bare in August, and then they sort of (laughs) yeah, and they flower again sort of in June the next year. Um, It was a great way, a great barometer of like the cold and the and the sunlight deprivation, and um, to compare them to London trees.
2: Yeah, it's quite funny. And what like what people forget is that like you know if you go 400 miles further north, it does get a bit cooler and. You know, I think I've seen Nick, a few of the guys who play in Nick Costley White's band, because they played a few gigs up in Scotland. And I met them one time. And it was like in the beginning of November. And they came up and they were like, oh, God, it's
0: cold up here. And so, <laughs> it's, it's November. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Glasgow in August and um, I saw some winter coats while I was there. Oh no! I know. It must have been a cold day, but yeah. And and you're right. I think it's because planes go really fast. It's like, oh, I've only been in the air an hour. I'm bloody freezing. What's going on here? Yeah. And
2: it's funny because it works the opposite way if you go to like, I don't know, northern Italy. I went to this place called uh, Ferrara, which is near Bologna. And I went in March and it was like 15 degrees Mm. in March. And I was like, shorts and t-shirts you know yeah and everybody else was wearing like a winter coat and a scarf and they were just looking at me like a complete lunatic
0: Mm, that happened to me last week (laughs) where was that 22 degrees northern spain beautiful day brits abroad t-shirt on you know living the dream and people (laughs) honestly were in coats and scarves and like 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 as if it was freezing it was a beautiful day
2: yeah, and what makes it worse is that you sort of, when the shorts and t-shirts are on you sort of reveal just quite how pale the British skin can be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. People was... come up
2: to you and like, oh man, if you you should take some vitamin yeah. D. Like, get, get...
0: <laughs> get this man to a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we started out there with a tune called Red Street.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Tell, is that a From that Alan Benzi trio, that track.
2: Yeah, that's from the Alan's second album called Little Mysteries, which I think he came on the pod. Yeah, that's and chat about it. Yeah, so that's from there, and uh, well, there's not. I mean, it sounds like Red Street. If you sort of take the title, it sounds like it could be some deep-seated meaning there, but. Actually, there's there's nothing, there's nothing behind the title. There's nothing, <laughs> and uh, it's always funny because uh, in Alan's music, he like everything he writes has some sort of story or image behind it. And like when he announces this tune on all his gigs, he's always had to say like, uh, "And if you want to know what the title's about, go and speak to Andrew." <laughs> so people come up to me and think, "Oh, you know, why wouldn't he say the title on the gig? Maybe there's something." deep and meaningful, but the, the reality is that uh, when, we, when I was living in Norway, uh, Emily and I, my fiancé, favourite dog that we saw was a red setter. It's this like gorgeous red dog, and it's got this really beautiful red coat, and sadly Red Street is just an
0: anagram of red setter.
2: Oh, wow! <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. It's absolutely
0: awful. <laughs> <laughs> I like that though, the disappointment. And then you can be like, you should have been bloody well listening to the music. Never mind the title.
2: <laughs> yeah, berate the audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Disappoint them with a lack of mystery behind the tune name and then berate them on their way out the door.
2: Yeah, but the piece itself is like, it was quite odd because uh, when I was in Norway, I met this guitarist who, he uh, he basically works like little jobs in and around Norway for half the year and then spends the other half the year living in brazil and he's like made a few records out in brazil with brazilian music and he's like this pale ginger haired guy and he only plays brazilian music and he's like really cool because he sort of like constructs his own guitars because he works at the dump that's where he works oh wow and a norwegian dump seemed to be well i don't know they there seems to be quite a lot of stuff that goes there because he's got, like, three MacBooks that people have thrown out. That's mental. And, MacBooks. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, he's, like, and he now lives on a boat in Oslo in the central harbour, and he's got, like, everything he owns in that boat is, like, come from the dump. So he's got, like, internet routers and Macs and central heating system. Yeah, it's, it's just nuts. Wow. But we started playing together, and he was sort of introducing me to all these, like, Brazilian uh, composers and uh musicians that i didn't have a clue about so when i wrote that piece that was sort of it was sort of all inspired by music from brazil at the time right um so it's got a bit of that kind of flavor to it and i suppose a bit of brad meldow as well um so that's really what that tune was sort of inspired by in a way
0: that's amazing i get the feeling like norwegian dumps have like higher quality garbage It's so quite a
2: phrase, isn't it, Norwegian dumps? Yeah,
0: that should be a tune.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's well, it's a very I'd have to ask him. He seemed very ambivalent about the whole thing though. Right. He was just like, Yeah, don't know why people are throwing out MacBooks. It's mine now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd be I'd be very suspicious. Um if someone, you know, if I just found a MacBook. I remember Dan and I went to the dump once. Um, we, uh, three days before my wedding, we sailed across the Thames on a homemade raft. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why? <laughs> yes, why indeed. I ask myself that question a lot. Um, the local pub does it once a year. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so we bought four oil drums and, um, and then went to Poundland. And the morning of the race, we we wrapped our four drums in like several kilometers of cling film to keep the (laughs) wrap together.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And then we wrapped it in a layer of bubble wrap for our comfort. Um, and, uh,
2: that's quite a good idea. Yeah.
0: It was cozy. And then three of us, our friend Tom, who, um, Tom Cummings, a friend of, yeah, James Cummings, who is a sax player that, um, he lives in Malta now. Anyway, um, so Dan and I were at the back of the raft using small one-pound lunch trays as as paddles. Um, but Because the oil drum's are actually quite small when you tape them all together. So we had to, like, lie down facing backwards on our stomachs, pushing this um, raft. And there was nothing for Tom to do. So he just waved a Union Jack. It's um, a sort of show of brilliance.
1: <laughs>
2: it's there anything more British.
0: Exactly. And we got all the way to the other side. And halfway back, and, and unfortunately, Dan and I were um physically and emotionally exhausted and the rescue boat came and pushed us to the Oh rest no. Away. Oh it was so sad. And and to, <laughs> such a miserable failure. <laughs> to compound the misery, the other people that entered of course are like actual grown-ups with like garages and and I don't know, money or something. Cause you know, nothing people would, else to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. People would bring like miniaturized Viking longboats and would do the crossing and back in like 20 seconds. Oh, and wow. I think for Dan and I, it was about seven minutes before they decided that the, the crowd had basically had enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we got rescued. Oh, no. I know. That well, sounds
2: like a jazz podcast team bonding.
0: Yeah. Session. It's funny. Actually. We've never talked about that on the pod. Um, it was a few years before we started. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a good bonding bonding session. I, I just regretted that. Like, I think my wife was adamant I was going to get a waterborne disease from like falling in the Thames. Did Uh, you fall in? No, I was bone dry. That was one thing I rafted very well. Oh,
2: wow. Well, that's, that's success right there.
0: Yeah, exactly. So really we were the winners um and and then then of course we then we went to the dump with our like oil drums and it was it was in hindsight quite a difficult um thing to pull off Uh, but when we were there we found a perfect in tune working upright piano no way placed in the dump not dumped you know wheeled gently to a completely unnecessary death um we stood around sort of going hey that's a piano and Dan being Dan has some really good piano skills and he went over and played a few tunes on it. And I thought it was really lovely. We did like a little gig basically in the dump, <laughs> but nobody cared. Nobody paid us any attention. Maybe we came oh, no. off as a couple of weirdos, but
2: is this, is this the direction that jazz is taking?
0: Yeah. It is, like, maybe that was, like, a sign, a premonition of where our careers were going to go. That we were just... In the dump, <laughs> and not even the
2: people at the
0: dump listening. No! <laughs> I thought people would have been curious that, like, a music college graduate had showed up to play the piano and was playing it very nicely, you know? Dan, Dan played some great standards and nobody cared. It, yeah, it was weird. It was a strange time in my life.
2: It's quite funny, that, because um, my... One of I've got three sisters, and one of them lives in New York, and her husband is from Glasgow, but he's a jazz bass player. He's amazing.
1: What's um, his name?
2: Aidan O'Donnell. He Ooh. did the first year in Birmingham, and then moved to London and was in a whole bunch of bands. I think he was in Tommy Smith's quartet and Alan Skidmore's band all at the same time. Oh, wow. Um, but he's been in New York. Well, they've been in New York for five, well, actually maybe eight years now, but... We visited them all as a family and when we were walking back from I think it was Prospect Park, uh we found a piano, like exactly as you said, placed on the side of the road. And uh basically Agent was like, Well, we could do with a piano and like this seems fairly in tune and it's here. I'll see if we can like call someone to help us move it. And a friend of his who's a drummer, um brought this thing called a dolly, which is like a I suppose a it's like a tray on wheels that you can wheel items about. And so we we wheeled this piano four blocks on the road and uh back to their flat and I was like, should we maybe go on the pavement? Like <laughs> like should we push this on the pavement? And they're like, No 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 we'll we'll be alright. We'll be alright. Uh So, yeah, we we managed to get it back and then they they eventually got it up the stairs. Um, They had to pay someone to do it. But it sits there in their apartment and there's a picture. Someone took a picture of us pushing, waiting at a traffic light, pushing this piano. That's amazing.
0: You waited at a red light with the piano. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely brilliant. What an incredible achievement of four blocks wheeling. That must have taken ages. It was like,
2: actually all right. The the wheeling it was fine, but getting it up... Oh, it was like, on
0: a dolly, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, the I was just going to say,
0: like, like, on its own little wheels, that must have been brutal.
2: I don't think it had
0: wheels. Um, mm.
2: So we wouldn't have moved it. But okay. the problem was is that it's like there's six steps to the apartment door and we managed to get it up there, but then there's, like, another 20 to the yeah. apartment. And we tried. We got it up the first four and we just couldn't do it. No. And... Yeah, they had to get proper movers in. Oh, wow. So what took us half an hour to get up two steps, these guys <laughs> did the whole thing in eight seconds.
0: Wow! Again, the grown-ups have arrived. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's amazing. So did you ever play with Dan? Are you ever aware of his base skills?
2: Yeah, very much so. We were, We were studying... Uh, at different colleges at the same time, uh, Dan was at the academy, and I was at Guildhall, and we were both in first year at the same time. And I remember everybody being like, "Oh, you should check out this guy, Dan Farron. He's he's really good." And he was. He was like, "We used to we hung out a couple of times. Actually, we had he uh, <laughs> came to Guildhall, and we had a jam on one double bass. <laughs> 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 we traded." Traded on like four bar chunks on a blues or something. Wow! It just sounds very odd, but yeah, we we hung out a few times and Dan. Uh, one time when we hung out at Dan's place, um, he was like, "Oh, what's your what's your bass called?" And I was like, "It's not called anything. It's just my bass." And he was like, "No, no, no. Every every instrument has to have a name." And he sort of guided me through the rules of what an instrument should be called. The
1: rules. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, Dan was like a real, everybody really respected Dan and I did as well because he was a fantastic bass player. Um, So yeah, I definitely was, he was, he was one of the guys, you know?
0: Yeah. It's fun to get your opinion as a fellow bassist especially that you were studying at the same time. Cause I found that like, I didn't meet him until he was in f- third year. And by then, you know, everyone just had so much, he'd already hurt his back at this point and was yeah. starting to struggle to play. Um, so it was all almost like in the past already, but the mutual respect that people had for him was absolutely huge.
2: Yeah. And it was interesting listening to him on his, when, when you interviewed him, yeah, like talking about how he got into the scene and I think like the thing I noticed was that like if I ever went to Ronnie's or like a jam session at Charlie Wright's everybody knew who he was and you know we'd only been at college for you know a year or six months or whatever but um i of course later found out listening to your interview with him that he'd been going to these jams and you know sort of making these connections and you know, it's one thing to make the connections, but to hang musically, you know, Dan could do it, and yeah. you know, he was great. But it was also funny because he started getting into magic. I think around the end of his first year, where he started at least displaying it around Guildhall publicly.
0: Ah, <laughs> brilliant! That's earlier than I thought.
2: Yeah, at least I think it was around there. Yeah. So that's where I, I saw the seeds of his future.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thats because now, if you're not aware, yeah. he's a he's, highly he's established professional freelance musician
2: he's a big time freelancer at mm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about um let's talk about Norway what made you decide after Guildhall that you wanted to go away from London? you studied a master's there didn't you
2: yeah, well, it all came about very. By chance, so my fiance uh, is called Emily Davis, who I think you guys know each other. She, you guys play in the Engines Orchestra.
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
2: So, Sick. Yeah, so we were, we were. She had a job playing in CBSO, City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra in Birmingham, but was living in London, and we were thinking about moving in together. And the there's a long story short, basically, but she was coming back to Birmingham after a concert, and the guest conductor was a guy called Ed Gardner, and the train was cancelled, so they had to wait an hour for the next train, and they sort of knew each other and said, well, should we go to the pub and just sort of chat? And they're chatting away, and Ed is the principal conductor in the Bergen Philharmonic Orchestra, which is in Bergen in Norway. And he said, Oh, you know, there's this opening where we need someone to cover a job for a year as the co-concertmaster of the orchestra. Would you want me to sort of put you forward for it? And she was like, Yeah, sure, that'd be nice. You know, and it's like it's always weird when sort of you're in the pub and you're drinking and someone sort of casually offers you the like potential <laughs> nice work. <laughs> And it's like, are they saying this for show, or like just out of do they or do they actually want to offer this to me well anyway they they took the train back and uh we she sent off her sort of application for what the job was, and sort of forgot all about it and then around April that year in twenty sixteen, we went on like a one week holiday of Norway and came back and she went back into work and like oh. And Ed was conducting, and he was like, oh, how was your trip to Norway? And he was like, oh, and what did you think of Bergen? Did you like Bergen? Did you like Bergen? What did you think of it? And he was kind of, like, sussing her out <laughs> whether she liked Bergen. We're like, oh, you know, Bergen was nice, and fast forward a few months, we were looking at an apartment uh, to live together, and Emily's like, you know, I think, I think this thing in Bergen might be happening. Because they're asking to if I can speak to them on the phone for like an interview.
0: Yeah.
2: And I was like, okay, well, you know, whatever happens between us, like that's a job you have to take yeah. if it comes up in terms of like your career. So you should take the job, whatever happens, and then we'll we'll figure figure it out. Yeah. So another week goes by. We find an apartment and it's like the apartment we want and we're like, we'll take the apartment and then I'm not kidding, two hours later, the orchestra, like the job's yours if you want it. And so we were like, okay, what are we going to do now? Yeah. <laughs> so I called, I did a bit of research cause I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to move there or if I'm just going to visit her while she's there. Uh, so it really wasn't like a planned thing. It was all very last minute. And I found that there was a music college there, and I didn't know this, but the composer Grieg is from Bergen.
0: Oh, cool! I didn't know that either. Yeah,
2: and so they have this place called the Grieg Academy of Music, which is their sort of music college. And I saw that they had a jazz course, so I called up the uh, the guy who teaches jazz bass, and I was like, "Look, here's the deal." I'm really sorry. I don't know anything about Perkin, but (laughs) like (laughs) chances are I'm going to be moving here. um, Because, and I just wanted to know what the scene is like, if there's any, you know, anything I should be aware of, or maybe we could just have a cup of coffee or something. Um, Because at this point we were like, well, it's not very often that you get like a golden ticket to sort of live somewhere else for a year. Yeah. And, London's a funny place because, like, a lot of people move there and spend a lot of time, like, building up work and, like, building up musical connections and making sure that they're in some way financially or artistically fulfilled. And to sort of cut the connection with all of that is quite daunting. Well, I
0: can't. I I know how daunting it is because I literally can't, you know. Like you say, I've spent so long building it up Mm. that I feel a little bit like to move would be to undo a a large majority of that work, basically.
2: Yeah. And, and that's like, it's a really difficult thing to sort of make a decision about. Um, the one thing that was in our favor, was that it would sort of be the, the length of one academic year. And because I had work booked up, you know, from September to Christmas, I was like, well, whatever happens, I'll just sort of commute back. Yeah, And I won't tell anyone that I've left, other than sort of the projects I'm involved with, just so they know. Um, and anyway, we spoke to this guy and he was like, well, why don't you study? Like, we've we've got, we're trying to start this master's in JADS and we need some students, actually. So if we can make it work, like, do you want to come and study here? And I was like, hell yeah.
0: <laughs> wow, that's brilliant. Awesome. Like, we need some students, yeah. To be yeah. first in the door, having already done one degree at Guildhall.
2: Yeah, be it? the be the academic, you know, guinea pig. Yeah. Um, what kind so of degree it, was it then? It was a master's in jazz performance.
0: Right. So, so you was, were the uh, first one to do it, essentially.
2: Yeah, myself and three other people. Right who were all all Norwegian. Um and it was quite it was quite a whirlwind after that because it was like, well, it's June. The academic year starts in the end of August. We need to find somewhere to live. We need to like do all this admin stuff that we'd never even thought about. And then we actually need to get all our stuff from London to Bergen. Uh so in the end my dad and I just packed all our stuff in our car and we drove uh to the north of Denmark and took a ferry. And um yeah, it was it was really interesting. It was like the course itself was like completely different from how I guess jazz courses are structured in the UK. Um and it would be quite interesting to talk to you about it because you did like a masters like at the Academy and like how did you find the like the course setup?
0: Ooh, it's kind of really hard because there's not so much of a dedicated master's course. What I got for two years was like all access to all four years of the undergrad course.
1: Mm.
0: So I just, I just mentally overwhelmed myself by attempting, for instance, every Wednesday, um, um, Pete Churchill would run a class called CNA composition and arranging yeah and he'd do two hours of the first year class writing a jazz standard two hours of the second year class like you know something much worse two years of a third year class <laughs> you know by and then like the end of the day the two year two hour fourth year class was like big band arrangement so it scaled oh, yeah. up in difficulty but it's rather than
2: transcription as well
0: exactly and then rather than doing that over the course of um A year, You know, I do I jump a year every 30 minutes like you do a two hour class, have a half hour break and then skip a whole year of your life. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it was kind of intense. And I ended up trying to just document it all and record it all. Um, You know, lots of iPhone voice memos. Um, And with Mm. the thought that I'll do two years where I claim as much information as I can with as little practice time as I've got. And then I'll spend the next two years after I leave actually trying to practice this stuff in and create a four year course myself mm. um, because the master's the most you can study is too. Um, so it was very yeah. interesting.
2: But yeah, because my my impression was that it was always like almost like a compressed undergraduate degree.
0: Yes, that's an excellent way to describe it. And I'd only studied contemporary classical um saxophone up until that point so i really needed a jazz education um yeah you know, so was quite yeah quite sorry fine. go on i was just going to say i really needed all of that information like i'm not sure how i'd have felt i don't know many jazz musicians who've done an undergrad in london who have then done a jazz masters actually i think you're quite in the interesting minority there
2: yeah, I think didn't Ferg Island do one at the did a master's at the academy.
0: Oh cool. Okay. I think he did one. Excellent.
2: But you're right, there are not many people who'd like do a undergrad in London and then do a masters in London.
0: Yes, um, that's my thoughts about a masters. You've got to move at the least college but ideally city as well, to get you know yeah. what, what I got out of it much more than the course with no disrespect to the course. It was just the other people I studied with and played with and got to meet, you know, absolutely. like meeting Ruben Fowler playing on his <laughs> like edition record, big, bat I know meeting Ruben in itself. I was lived a, with
2: him for four years. Oh yeah. yes.
0: I lived with Ruben for a year as well. <laughs> yeah. It was my first year in London. It was absolutely marvelous. We basically would only, we we'd have a play, but our idea of a play was to like, you'd put on the PlayStation Yes, Gran Turismo. You know, yes, Gran Turismo. <laughs> Get the menu music on, you know, and then you just blow over it. You just play over whatever game someone was playing in the lounge. <laughs> yeah, so,
2: when I lived with him, it was La
0: Noir. Oh, sweet! That's a monster soundtrack. In a, yeah, in a on a no, very like serious Geron, note. Yes. Uh, John Mark Taylor, Tanner. Mark yeah. Tana. If you haven't listened to that soundtrack online, um for the love of God, pause this podcast and go and find it, because it is it is a seminal piece of like jazz in in like in the mainstream culture.
2: Yeah. Oh man. Living with Reuben Fowler and Matt Robinson. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. And that was that was that was funny. That, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean that's perfect. But yeah, <laughs> Sorry, so let's go yes. back again. So, what so is it? How did you feel about the difference then? What was it like in Norway compared to what I've described?
2: Um, okay, it was completely different in most aspects that I could sort of perceive. Yes, uh, first things first, like Bergen is mostly a contemporary music kind of town, so like. The kind of like when I started off living there, like there wasn't really a jam session that happened in town very regularly, if ever, right? So it was like, how am I gonna meet new people? And what are the people here? What do they do? And like a lot of them played a lot of very free, avant garde, contemporary music. And you know, the city itself is famous for having this Borealis festival where. You know, all these composers of contemporary music collaborate with jazz musicians who really specialize in playing free jazz. So that was the first thing. And like I'd done a bit of that kind of playing in London towards the end of my time. But it wasn't like what I was used to doing, sort of, say, day in, day out. And then the thing I noticed about the course, it was like you had to have a master's project that you we're going to spend your time there focusing on. And then that's it. You just had your one-to-one lessons, your supervisor time, uh, who would talk you through your master's project, and then you'd just be left on your own. There's no classes or anything other than, you know, to prepare you for your master's project. And the master's project itself was like an aspect of music or something that you want to investigate that hopefully has some sort of transferable benefit to your playing. So I don't know if you're a violinist and you're studying, I don't know, the Bach violin partitas, you maybe do something, uh, some analysis on, you know, that area of Bach's writing so that hopefully when you come to perform the partitas in your performance exam, you've got this, you know, added knowledge, but really, uh, it was just like, okay, you know, come up with a master's project. And I was like, but I don't have one. It's like, oh, it's okay. You'll, you'll figure something out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now get out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
2: It's like, and you know, maybe, maybe that can be part of the process, you know, documenting how you found your master's project. Wow. And that's like, and then I reread like the guidelines for being accepted onto the course. And it was like, you have to have a master's project in mind. And I was like, I'd, Pretty sure I didn't have one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there was it was for me it was like, you know, thinking about how post grad degrees in jazz in the UK and or undergrad, it was like, here's a bunch of stuff that we're gonna give you f- over the course of two years that you can work on for the rest of your life. And in Norway, or at least in Bergen, it was more like you do your undergraduate degree, maybe you have a couple of years out. And then when you wanted to do a master's, it was because you had a project that you wanted to have, like, some time to nurture and
0: get some input on. Um, wow, that's so it, exceptionally, as you say, different in every possible way.
2: Yeah, and, you know, it's. Uh, I think a lot of people at the other colleges in Trondheim and Oslo are sort of encouraged to, like, make a recording at the end of their two years and release it. So it's set up very differently. And in terms of like music in general, there was was a lot of things that I sort of bashed my head against for the first few months when I was there. And it was like in the UK, we sort of have half a foot in American jazz and half a foot in European jazz. So a lot of people know quite a few standards and a lot of people play sort of swinging jazz a bit not everyone does but
1: yeah
0: you
2: no know, it's something that you're encouraged to study when you're growing up yes and Definitely. over there it was like not many people knew that many tunes and the ones they did know were all the absolute chestnut standards that you've been playing for 15 years yeah <laughs> um and then none of them could read music that well and i started thinking well how can you how is it that a drummer can wind their way up in like a master's course and not read music? yeah, and then I sort of had to sort of piece together well their skills lie elsewhere and and I was thinking, well how does their education differ to the point that that can be so yeah, and then it actually goes to a much deeper level where like in the u k we put like a high a lot of it comes down to how much time you have to rehearse like classically and in terms of jazz. So like the way orchestras are set up in Norway, they're quite well funded. So they have time to have paid rehearsals. And it was something I would see with Emily who would go in with the orchestra and, you know, she's used to the UK orchestral way of life, which is, you know, you'd play two to three different orchestral programs a week. Yeah. And, all of a sudden, she would go f- to play like one program a week, have four days of rehearsals and play two concerts playing the same program. Sounds and... wonderful.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Oh, sorry. Oh. Just uh, very high budget behavior by me there. <laughs> sorry. It's Con- a tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Continue, old friend.
2: Yeah, so there was that, and then it was, like, in the UK, because um, the orchestras are not so well-funded, um, they have to put on, I suppose, concerts that guarantee bums on seats, which yes. bring in money, which then help pay for more artistically adventurous programming. Yeah. And, like, the trickle-down effect of that is that as educators, um, in the UK, we put a big big like premium on being proficient so like you need to know your excerpts you need to be able to like play the instrument to a high level yeah to the point that when you sit down in a chair like when you have to play like Mahler 9 and you know Mozart in a week you can just do it yeah whereas like in Norway they'd love to rehearse like loads loads of rehearsing and it was something I'd like but I don't need to rehearse this I can I can play this piece you know yeah because I've been trained that way. Yeah. But then the flip side was that I was really struggling, you know, with some of like their conceptual approach to improvising. And I really, really had to get some help with that. So I presented a unique challenge to their teachers because I could play the bass pretty well. Yeah. Um, I knew how to take care of that, but I was really struggling with like the artistic and musical side. Um, Whereas all the other bass students, had no problem thinking about music and coming up with interesting ways of improvising, but perhaps needed more help, you know, on the technical side.
0: Yes, but I do feel if you'd have shown them you and Dan sharing one bass, <laughs> you might have. You know, when you first said that, I was I thought like one of you, one of you like plucking, and one of you walking like on the frets, you know, like a hand each that would be horrible i'm sure oh no <laughs> yeah yeah i know
2: <laughs> it sounds like the edinburgh fringe show from hell
0: <laughs> oh yeah let's so then did you stay in bergen after your degree
2: yeah well we were only going to be there for one year right and like at that time because i thought well i don't want to completely sever all my connections in london I didn't tell anyone that I'd left. So I was commuting back and forth quite a lot up until December. And then after the new year, I sort of made a decision that I'm not going to take on any work unless it's something I simply can't refuse. And because in our heads, it was like, well, it's the new year and we're going to be going, you know, in June. And like, we just feel like we're getting to know the place. Um, and at that time, the orchestra said to Emily, do you fancy staying in for another six months? So until the Christmas, the following Christmas. And we thought, well, that would sound great. So then we, we stayed in Bergen up until Christmas 2017. And then we moved back around January, February this year, back to the UK.
0: Oh, cool. So um, what, what, what made you decide to move to Edinburgh?
2: Um, purely because our plan of moving back to London was somewhat scuppered. Uh, so if we were moving back to London in the summer, it would sort of be a bit easier to, you know, maybe start up some teaching work or line up some freelancing work for both of us. And it would be a bit easier to find somewhere to live because, um, It'd be the holidays, and uh, <laughs> Emily's. So that's my phone buzzing now. <laughs> yes, sorry, uh, but Emily's parents live in Guildford, which is not a million miles away. So you could sort of.
0: No, I live pretty close to Guildford. I'm going there on Saturday. Nice. Mm.
2: Yeah. So it's as you know, it's like quite easy to get into town. Yeah. Um, but because we were now going to be moving back in like January, and February, it's quite a bit harder to sort of make all that happen. Right. And they, I had a, I was lucky that I have a flat in Edinburgh and it was literally, well, whatever happens, we can just go there right, and we'll figure it out. And so we've been there since February and I was, my degree finished, uh, this summer. So from, I guess the winter or from the new year, I was commuting over to finish the degree. Right. Um, So it wasn't particularly for musical reasons or anything. It was just that there was somewhere for it to be. Yeah, no, that's
1: that's
0: a good start for sure. Are you going to stay there then for the foreseeable future? I mean, obviously, it's a beautiful place, lovely place to live. Yeah, I don't
2: think it'll be forever. I think it's been a good place to sort of move back to the UK and sort of get your bearings in a way. Yeah, it's it's kind of odd because like I grew up here and I uh, haven't lived here for, you know, almost 12 years. Yeah. So some things feel incredibly like similar, but musically, like the city's kind of changed quite a bit. And uh, like there's a lot more stuff going on now than there was when I was, you know, a 17, 18 year old sort of getting into jazz And, you know, added on to that, I've not lived there for a long time. So the people who live here are like really keen and up for playing, but they're always having to like, oh, but we thought you were in London or we thought you were in Norway. So, (laughs) yeah, which is fair because, you know, I was good keep
0: people guessing.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, if you have your own segment dedicated to you on a podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny when we did it, I didn't mean it to be referring to the fact that you've moved around loads. Um, more the fact that each week I'd say up next is Andy Rob, and then a show would come out and it wouldn't be you. And oh, then no. at the end, Dan would be like, what happened this week? And I'd be like, oh no, let's try again. Next week's oh, going to be no. Andrew Rob. Oh, Here so, it comes. I'm so sorry. So sorry for everything. <laughs> My favorite one was last week when you had to walk to the pub just to get enough signal to text me to say that you had no signal.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, well the last week was particularly bad because I was doing this tour with this uh Norwegian guitarist called Erik Sveller. Um and we were based in Leeds and we were playing in like Liverpool, Leeds, Bradford, Sheffield, uh Ambleside, all those places. And uh on the way to the first gig I was involved in a car accident. So my
0: Oh man, up. that's awful.
2: Yeah, and it's like every day it was just spent like waiting for the insurance company to call. And yeah, it was just a massive bollock. So I'm, I'm my humblest apologies (laughs) for sort of ruining the schedule.
0: (laughs) Oh boy. Right. Let's finish with this tune soundscape. So just tell us a bit about it.
2: Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, I spent my time studying my master's uh, was like, using a more conceptual approach to improvising and my teacher basically started me off playing standards with this guitarist called Matthias Marstrander and a drummer called Sigurd Steinkopf and we'd play sort of once a week to my teacher in Norway and it was like let's just find more conceptual ways of improvising on this so like let's have a go and they would start off with something quite simple. Like the goal is that we're going to start, like we're going to play this completely Robato, something like all the things you are. Yeah. And they would progress to like, okay, we're going to start off Robato, but then one of you is going to like make a decision to come into time. And so it just started off from there. And then gradually it was like, we're bringing in, I was writing music for this trio and playing pieces that, i played with other bands and approaching them in a slightly more conceptual way. So you played red street earlier, but actually we play red street with this trio in a completely different way. Oh, cool. Um, and so it was really just like a a journey of like, well, how can we find interesting ways of like coming to a musical, like a musically satisfying conclusion to the improvising with having a goal. Um, and it was great because, like, when you play sort of when you're improvising on, like, uh, a competition that's got, like, time, a feel and, like, a set structure, there's a uh, quite a focus on, like, the content as in, like, what you play. And one of the things I was interested in is, like, how we choose to play things. So like how you choose to improvise with different elements of the composition. Um, So this piece, Soundscape, was like a very basic uh, concept that we had for improvising. Uh, So we just, it was, the concept was like, we're going to improvise freely and we're going to start with like like the smallest dynamic we can possibly play and over the course of maybe four or five minutes, we're going to try and get to a point where we're at our absolute peak. Um, but the trick is we don't know how we're going to get there. Right. So that's kind of how this piece came about. Um, and yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Like Playing in that way brought uh, different sides of my, I suppose, my musicality that... Um, perhaps I knew might be within me, but uh, it definitely fostered like a different way of playing. And I suppose in a broader scale, like spending all this time in Norway with these people who are sort of thinking quite conceptually about, you know, art and they view it as art rather than like music. Mm -hmm. um, Again, sort of feeds into that idea of like, well, artistry and what does it mean to be like a, an improvising jazz musician and, They sort of pushed or guiding me down this avenue of like exploring different ways of improvising. So that's really what it's about. Um, And it's something that I've taken away and uh, just sort of thought a bit more about. And once you start thinking that way about freely improvising, it kind of helps your improvising when you're sort of back improvising with pieces that have, you know, you know, a form, a set structure or a feel, because you can then sort of say, well, how am I going to shape this solo? You know, yeah. or how am I going to shape this music as a sideman? So it's been really interesting, actually. It's It's been one of the, the best things that sort of helped my playing progress oh, well. in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah it's sort of had a much bigger impact than I thought it would.
0: Oh, that's wonderful to look back with that feeling about it all.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's amidst the days where it's like, I can't play the open strings well today. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I've got more conceptual approaches. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. Well, Andrew, Rob, it has been a pleasure. Thank you oh, for man, it's coming. It's been an
2: absolute pleasure being here. And yeah, keep doing what you're doing because it's fantastic to Thank get you. to listen to all these people Telling us about their journey. The one that really stuck out for me was Jim Hart.
0: That was mm. an amazing one. Yeah, that was quite an early one. Yeah. Wow, yeah, Jim Hart. I mean, the show's almost two years old now, so... Um, but yeah, that was great. Um, I
2: started listening to this in Norway, actually. Oh,
0: brilliant. Yeah. Well, wow, that's so cool. I always feel really reassured to know that someone's actually listening, because it, it can be hard to tell. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: Yeah, actually the one thing i was hoping because you know you went through that phase where you had huge listening following in japan yep i was thinking maybe he's gonna find the one person listening to this in norway <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he won't know that it's me
0: no it was yeah unfortunately um you never um were able Like, i need more than like in order for it to show up in the, t- like I can only see the top 10 cities where, and countries where people are listening. Um, so just for your entertainment now, before you go, I'm going to tell you the top 10 as they stand right now. Excellent. Um, in 10th place is Brazil. ninth is Kenya. Eighth Kenya. is the Netherlands. Yes. Um, I actually do a music project in Kenya. Um, oh, awesome! so yeah. Um, with any luck, I've got a huge Kenyan fan base. Um, Japan has sadly fallen all the way down to seventh. Um, oh. I know, crushing. Um, and then Australia, Poland, Germany, um, uh, the United States. Oh, this is interesting. The, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland is a separate country to the United Kingdom, according, <laughs> according Yeah. <laughs> So does that
2: occupy the
0: top two places? Uh, the top three, the USA is second. There's a very, very big number of listeners there at the moment. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah, don't, again, don't know who they are, but um, but thank <laughs> you for listening, American listeners or British people living in America or, um, you know, Will Vinson. I suspect he's propping up (laughs) um what i think is going on here and excuse me for getting political but i think people who voted to leave the eu have been categorized separately um to those that voted to stay oh wow Um, yes so now i've got two united kingdoms um you know
2: (laughs) (laughs) don't we all (laughs) yeah (laughs) so anyway on that well, man, you should uh, you should hook up some sort of jazz podcast on the road tour to all these various places.
0: Oh, yes, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? That would be really, really cool. I'd be well up for that.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, man. Thanks again for having me.
0: It's been a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Give
2: my love. Give my love to Dan.
0: Oh, I certainly will. I'm going to call him now and um, give him a lecture about his own life. Um, yeah, so.
2: and tell him One thing that he did do after we had that one bass jam was that he farted on my bed, on my pillow, and then (laughs) left.
0: (laughs) I can't believe that's gone public. (laughs) Wow. Oh dear. Ten years ago, I'm not bitter. (laughs) No. (laughs) He's changed. He's matured. (laughs) Cool. All right. Nice one, buddy. Thanks, Rob.
2: All the best. Awesome. Bye.
1: Bye. Well done well, i quite enjoyed those stories i haven't and heard them yet but uh yeah <laughs> i'm sure they were great stories
0: <laughs> yeah so next week hopefully is going to be jason yard but yep. i don't want to get into that thing where i start saying who it
1: is again and then it's a different person each time well just like we had we're supposed to have Nikki isles on the show
0: oh yeah Nikki isles was supposed to be uh like episode four and mm. this now is episode 83 so Which, and where is she uh, any minute now. Any minute now. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just.
1: Just. You know. We're nearly two years old as well, Rob, aren't we? Oh
0: my goodness, we're nearly two years old, and we're also nearly a hundred episodes old as well.
1: Whoa! That seems like a good time to <laughs> to finish that. You think to bow out gracefully? Do you actually think so? <laughs> yeah i can see you don't.
0: i mean i'm only curious it's been quite a while since we did a show and this morning i was a bit like is it over have we stopped you know yeah. um but then of course it's roaring back um i think i'll just stop when no one listens to it anymore well, i should have stopped ages ago then rob yeah that's true but you know <laughs> still got a hardcore fan base of me and you re- and my show and my mom of course mm. very good
1: did you see uh, the photos of the gig I did the other day? <gasps>
0: yes! With um, <laughs> Ian McKellen and yeah. Maggie Smith.
1: Yeah. And who took the photo? a Michael Bald. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Did you see the like the performance shot there as well? No, I did not. Where's oh, that? How I sent you that. that? Um, if you search Dan Farron on Getty Images, we'll put Dan Farron Getty images, you'll see them all. Oh, sweet. I might I send some of these to our dear listeners on our Twitter account. Oh, no, I mean, people aren't interested. Oh, there's another Dan Farren No, not. What? Just search Dan Farren on Getty, you'll see all of the shots.
0: Oh, sweet. Yeah. yeah. I'm that excited. Was fun. There's also, oh, there's lots of pictures of Robert Snodgrass, the uh, footballer, coming up.
1: Oh, and Theresa oh, yeah. May. Yeah, if you put in Farron, I think I think it just came up with Dan because mine did that
0: as well. Oh yeah, well spotted. Yeah, that was a rather alarming mixture.
1: To be quite honest with you, oh brilliant!
0: How did you get these pictures then to be taken um,
1: and then there uploaded? was a photographer there yeah. who's like yeah, and he was there at the time I was doing that table. This is
0: ridiculous. Magician <laughs> Dan Farron performs for Sir Derek Jacobi. Dame Maggie Smith, Surrey and McKellen, Anne Reid and Michael Ball. Yeah,
1: that's quite funny.
0: <laughs> that's absolutely outrageous. It says for editorial
1: use only. I know. What does that mean? I mean, I think that means I can't put it on my website.
0: Uh, does it mean I can't put it on the Jazz Podcast Twitter without
1: getting in a whole heap of trouble? Well, I could pay if you go um, or... on my Twitter, is that how much it is? That's crazy, isn't it? If you go on my Twitter, I got sent a couple of them by the the charity, then the gig was for, so they won't have the Getty image stamp on them.
0: Wow, good luck! So yeah, let's couple go with that. A couple of sly ones.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that's incredible! What a week it's been, <laughs> indeed. Dan, Rob, seeing as I can't remember any other things we were going to talk about, I'm going to just bow out gracefully. We need to do your interview soon, uh, soon though, don't we?
0: My Christmas show. Yeah, well, I want to save it until we're really desperate like
1: a bit like what's been the last two weeks I mean, we just had Andy Rob on the show we must be there <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm Sinking. sorry Andy yeah I'm sorry I, you set me up for that one brutal yeah. yes this picture is on your
0: Twitter the one this one that mm. that you have is one that was listed as £375 on Getty Images there you go well I'm going to put it out there because I'm a man of the people. (laughs) And let's see what happens.
1: Have a good week, Rob.
0: You too, old chum. I'll speak to you next week.
1: Of course. Farewell. Bye.